0: pray. God, we love you. Um, we just want your word today, Jesus. Again, we pray for the protection of everybody outside. Uh, in here, uh, we just pray for your word to creep into our soul, our heart, our minds. We pray that we would leave here different than we came in. Our consistent prayer is that we would meet Jesus, we would meet Holy Spirit, and that we would leave here different than we came in. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Some of you are taking notes. You know that we're supposed to be in Mark seven twenty four. If you know exactly where we're supposed to be, that's amazing. Keep on taking notes. But we are going to buck the system. We are going to bounce around Mark. We're going rogue, renegade. We're going to bounce around Mark for four weeks in a row. I know it's crazy. If you're in missional communities, you'll know why. If you're not in missional communities, I will tell you why. Uh, there has been this unbreakable cable tethered to our heart since the beginning of the gospel, okay? It's not a string, it's not a shoelace, it's not something like, it's an unbreakable cable tethered to our heart in everything that is important to us. Maybe another picture that you need is that we like to dissect our relationship with God. We lay it on the table And we like to extract the things that make us uncomfortable. We like to take out the things that we don't really want to talk about. And we like to leave them on the table. But here we like to put them back in and address them in the right context. That thing that I'm talking about, that cable that I'm talking about, is something called money. Now when I mention the word money... I, can t- I mean, it's more loaded than a baked potato, right? There's all sorts of things that are coming to mind when anybody at church or when any pastor at a church mentions the term money, and so I want to go 2002 M&M on Satan this morning. I don't know if you know what that means, but I was a huge hip-hop head in the 90s and early 2000s, and I watched this movie that I do not recommend now, I watched it before I Loved Jesus, but that movie was called Eight Mile. And in 8 Mile, there is this epic, iconic scene where Eminem breaks apart his opponent by breaking apart himself. He calls out in a rap battle everything that his opponent is about to say about him. So I'd like to go 2002 Eminem on Satan's rear end this morning, and I want to talk about all the things that you may be thinking when I say the word money at church. Here are the the three lies before we get into our scripture that I think that you may be thinking of. Uh, on the top of your head, before Satan gets to your heart. Number one, if the church talks about money, it's money hungry, and we'll mismanage your money. If the church talks about money, it's money hungry, and we'll mismanage your money. Let me tell you why I think this one is is deep into our system, okay? And and really, it's justified why this is deep into our system. I had a buddy on staff years ago. uh, He came from a mega, mega church, beyond 12,000, I think. And he used to tell me how they spent their money okay, and and for one series of three Sundays, get this, for one series of three Sundays, they bought and and uh, tailor-fitted, excuse me, a fish tank for their stage, okay, it was $14,000 for a three-week programming element, so when when you get a little skeezed out, when you're a little skeptical of churches spending your money, I get it, I'm with you, I feel it too, I'm upset with that church and every other church who mismanages not only the stewardship of God but mismanages this idea that Christ likes to talk about all the time, and he ruins it for Christians talking about it in a safe setting. Right? I'm upset with them for that reason, but I, I, I get it. Like, um, I've been in a church where there was a golden escalator. I'm like, maybe the escalator was a bit much in the first place. It had to be gold, and there was multiple escalators. It didn't look like you were going to see Jesus. It looked like you were going to see some slot machines. Like pastors are buying helicopters and planes and they're paving parking lots even though there's just one pothole. So like I get it. I feel it. But for every lie there's a truth, right? And here's the truth. Some pastors are just humbly following Jesus and they're humbly following a Jesus who talks about money more than he does faith and prayer. Did you know that? Jesus talks about money more than he does faith and prayer. Did you know that 11 out of Jesus' 40 parables are based around the idea or topic of money or he uses it metaphorically to get to our heart. That's over 25% of his main teachings. So we're just following Jesus. Some of us are just following Jesus humbly and really we're following him in the chase after your heart. So that's the first one. Number two, money's icky. It's gauche. I don't know what gauche is, but it seems like an appropriately bougie word for this setting, right? Nobody wants to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it either. My wife brings it up. She's like, hey, you want to talk about the budget? I'm like, uh, I have a banquet. It's like a banquet. It's not on the calendar. There's a banquet for something and a person. It's important. I got to go. I just want to get out of there because I do not want to talk about money. And many of you feel the same way. Why do we not want to talk about money? Because it's vulnerable and because it's attached to everything that we do and are. That's why we don't want to talk about money. And again, I get this one as well. But here's what Satan does. He creates a vault around your most sensitive idols. You know what I mean by by that? Like An idol is something that you worship over Jesus. And so what Satan does is he builds a protective room around your most sensitive idols, around the ones that he wants to keep in your heart. He wants to keep really in the back end of your heart so you don't even address it. The things that have special access to the deepest places of who you are, Satan wants to build a protective room around those idols. And he's very good at it. What he doesn't want us doing is he doesn't want us taking those topics out in family, in community, with the scriptures out, with the Holy Spirit present, Attacking those idols and smashing them on the ground before the feet of Jesus. That's Satan's worst case scenario is that we would take topics like lust, sexuality, money, leadership, and we would bring them out before Jesus with the scriptures present and the Holy Spirit present, and we would take them together in wisdom, in truth, in love, in grace. He does not like that. That's his worst-case scenario. And so he builds protective rooms around those things. It makes us feel like money is icky. When money is not icky, Jesus wants to redeem money in our lives. Just like he wants to take sexuality, he wants to take it out, he wants to talk about it, he wants to redeem it, he wants to put it in its right biblical context, he wants to take money out, and he wants to put it in its right biblical, holy context. Money's not icky. It's redeemable. Last one, money is detached man, some of us think that money is detached. It's detached from our marriage. It's detached from our heart. It's detached from our faith. It's detached from our relationship with God. It's just detached. It's just separate green sheets of paper that we pay for stuff with. Even though, like when we have a small money crisis, I had a small money crisis last, two weeks ago. My car got towed. I didn't understand why. Uh, Whatever, 350 bucks. It's a lot of money. Uh, It affected my prayer life, my faith, and my marriage in one day. Right? (laughs) Right? And y'all laugh because the same exact thing will happen to you. Small money crisis happens, and it affects everything that we are. Why? Because it's attached to everything that we are. We love when it's detached. Like if I told you, you could have a job where you made enough money, and and you would never have to worry about money, and you could have a spouse that would do all the budgeting for you, and you would never have to look at a budget, you would sign up for that faster than samples at Costco. Right? Right? You be all in on that thing. Because we want to be detached. That's why we love easy pass. Your boy loves easy pass. For some reason, I feel like I'm not paying any money. does anybody realize I'm not even paying this money? I'm just strolling through. Alright, I don't even put my podcast on pause. I did not spend $295 just now. And then I get the bill at the end of the month. I'm like, what the what just happened? And I spent that much on tolls? Because right, we think. Like, detachment is good. We think this is not a part of our lives. It's not attached to our marriage, our faith, our status, or anything. We we just think it's detached when that's just a lie. It's attached to everything that we are and who we are. Bottom line, Jesus loves you deeply. Jesus loves you deeply. He loves all the corners and crevices of your heart. And money is a major part of your life. Money, for many of us, is a central theme in our spirituality. It's big. How big? Question mark. Sometimes I do that because I talk to Siri all the time. How big? Let's figure that out today together. We're gonna be in Mark 1017. Mark 1017, if you'll turn there with me. We're gonna call this message the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room. Mark 1017. By the way, again, we're going to be here on this topic for about four weeks, but at the same time, we're going to stay all up in Mark. We will not leave Mark. Ten seventeen, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Fair question. One of the fairest questions of the human condition, something we're all chasing for. How do I attain this eternal life thing? But he calls him good teacher first. Jesus has a little bit of an issue with this because he doesn't, he doesn't think the man knows what he's talking about here. Either, either this man, because he didn't call anybody good but God, either this man thinks Jesus is God by the way he approaches and by the question he asks him, or he's not really using the term good correctly. Jesus is going to approach him with that question first, and then he's going to move on. Therefore, we're going to move on to verse 18. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. By the way, youth means 12 years old. It means the age at which you are accountable to make sure you followed all these laws, and this man is doing it. I want you to take note, one, what you were doing when you were 12 years old. Okay? I can't mention, because again, my parents are in the room. All right? Uh, let's give you a little shout-out to the Thorns and Hezzy. Let's give them a couple of claps here. Think about what you were doing when you were 12, and then think about what this man is doing. This man is following all the laws, and not only that, but a couple verses down, he's rich, he's a ruler, at least that's what the, the scholars call him, he has possession. So he out here living his best life, and what he says is, I want to live my best life not just now, but eternal, eternally. I want to I live the, the best life then too. So how do I get to that? What any good young man, whatever whatever driven young man would chase after, this young man says, I'm living my best life right now. I want to live that best life as well. How do I do it? Now you have to understand that culturally and contextually, eternity is on this man's mind. Okay? Not so much for us. Eternity is at the center of culture here. Spirituality is at the center of culture. Part of it is because they're not living as long as we do, right? Their LEB, their life expectancy at birth, is less than half of what we got. Right now, our LEB, uh, life expectancy at birth, worldwide, right now, 2019, is 72 years old. Pretty good. His, 32. All right, so you're not thinking, I got all the time in the world to figure this whole eternity thing out. You're thinking, I have a wife, a kid, I finish school, I might die soon. Right, you're not, you're not chilling, going, I got time to figure out this God thing, this meta narrative thing. No, you're thinking, I have to get a hold of this. And this man is thinking, I have to get a hold of this. What is eternal life? How do I get it? I'm out here living my best life. I'm trying to live that best life as well. And Jesus is going to address the elephant in the room of his heart. Verse 21, and Jesus looking at him, loved him, take that in, and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have, And give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great, great possessions. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Sometimes the most loving thing God can say to you is the hardest thing for your heart to hear. Sometimes the most loving thing God can say to you is the hardest thing for your heart to hear. Uh, Every Monday, I see this gentleman. His name is Nate Solder. Uh, and if you're a Giants fan, you know who that is, okay? Uh, yeah, just one quick moment in the sermon while I'll just boo and hiss, boo hiss for the Giants. This guy is a great guy, he's a great guy. I've seen him, he, by the way, let me just back up a little bit. Nate Solder is an offensive lineman for the New York Giants. You probably don't know him unless you're like a real fan. Real fans know who their offensive lineman is. But he you was know, one of the highest paid offensive linemen last year in, in the entire NFL. So he's kind of a big deal. Physically and money-wise, okay? The dude is just doing, and he's also a great father. Like I've seen him play on Sunday night against the Cowboys, uh, and, and then he gets off the plane a red eye and take his kid to school. I think this guy's amazing. But for me, he's an elephant in the room, right? Not because of his size, although he is 6'8 and 230. But he's an elephant in the room because I don't really know what to do with him, okay? He, he'll come here on, on Monday morning, and I don't know how to act, because I gotta pretend like, first of all, this dude doesn't make in the millies, and he's not wearing shorts and a t-shirt every time I see him. It doesn't matter what, 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 what the weather is, how much he made that year. He's just wearing shorts and a t-shirt. He's very humble. He's a great guy. I got to pretend like I don't see that. I also got to pretend like he ain't 6'8", 2.30, and his kids are like this. I, it's, just, it's just hard. I'm standing next to him. I'm like, sir? You know, I just, it just, he's like an elephant. He's just a big guy, bigger than life. I just heard about him on the radio. I just saw him play the day before. It's just bigger than life for me. And I don't know how to act around those people. So I act awkward. I don't know if you're the same way. I don't want to be that weird fan girl, fan boy type thing. Like, hey, good game. I don't want to be that guy. And so I just don't talk to him. Like, even if he's standing right next to me and he, like, gives me a look or something, I just, uh, you know, it's it's just odd. I'm just weird. Okay, I'm weird because... For me, it's the elephant in the room, because I'm a big football fan, and so I there's high respect for him, even though he's on the wrong team. There's just high respect for him. There's just elephant in the room. Now, again, I'm not talking about his size. I'm talking about the idea. Like, what is the concept of an elephant in the room? It's like, this, this thing is so big, it's, it's so forefront in your mindset. It's, it's, it's like an elephant in a 12 by 12 living room. It's always going to be in front of you unless you address it. Unless you do something about it, unless you give some peanuts for it to kind of walk out the door, the elephant will always be in the center of your life, in the center of your room. Here's what Jesus does. He goes right after the elephant in the room of this man's heart. And the elephant in the room is not sexuality. It's not lying. It's not cheating. It's not stealing. It's not murder. It's not hate. It's not envy. It's none of those things. It's money. And he's got so much money, and he's got so many possessions, he can't follow Jesus. That's deep. He's got so much possession, he he doesn't have the ability to follow Jesus, listen to Jesus, know who Jesus is, follow God, worship God. He has no ability to do any of that, and he walks away, verse 22, disheartened, sorrowful. And by my account, By what Jesus says next, he's probably not going to spend eternity with God. Let it get deep. If it's getting a bit deep, let let it get deep for you. This is what Jesus says next, verse 23. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. He says it twice. He's like, I don't know if y'all heard me. Let me say it again. It's difficult. Oh, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to understand God, worship God, have a framework for God, follow God in general because they're holding on to this wealth in their life. Now, why does he say this? Is it because money's bad? Is it because you having possessions is bad? You having a thing is bad? Your car is bad? Your apartment is bad? No. No. He says this because this man has an elephant-sized idol in the middle of his life, and you may too. And it hinders you from following Jesus, knowing Jesus, worshiping Jesus, and really finding yourself in eternity with Jesus. Kind of crazy. I want to address the elephant in the room of your heart today, and I want you to know that Jesus is not angry with this man. Jesus looks at this man, and he loves him. And he's not wanting to throw this man under the bus. He's not wanting this man to get it wrong. He looks at him, he loves him, and he says, man, how hard it is for for you. He gives us a, a, a picture, and this picture is kind of famous. If you've been in the church for 10 years or so, you probably heard this picture at some point, this metaphor at some point. Verse 25, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, scholars have wrestled with this for years, and they're like, oh, maybe there's a gate, and the gate is it's really small, and the camel can't get through the gate. But every scholar that I read recently is like, oh, that's pretty dumb. Here's, here's what it is. Jesus is saying, this is the smallest thing I can think of, the eye of a needle, and this is the largest animal in ancient Palestine. I want you to think of one thing trying to go through another. Impossible. Right? Impossible. Preposterous. It's, it's, it's weird to even think of this. Like, why, why would he even come up? With, he wants you to think this is crazy. The disciples do think this is crazy. Verse 26, And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is possible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. It's absurd. Let me just lay this out. Money could quite possibly be the elephant in the room of your heart, for sure. If you have wealth, and by most standards of the world, we all have wealth. Well, let's just be honest. We're all doing okay. I'm with you. We all got food, a house, maybe a car, maybe, but you got enough money to hit the path. Like We got, we got enough. Okay? We got enough. And if you have wealth, but you have no framework for generosity. You have no framework to surrender that wealth to Jesus. You, have no frame- you don't even know what tithing is. You don't know what giving is. You don't know what God wants you to do. You see your neighbor in trouble. You see that poor man in trouble, that poor woman in trouble, and you have no idea to help them out. If you have no understanding of what God wants you to do with your wealth, there's a good chance it's the elephant in the room of your heart and you will not be able to follow Jesus, study Jesus, love Jesus, love people, and therefore there's a good chance you will not spend eternity with Jesus. And you have to be able to let that sink in. You have to be able to push aside your pride and go, you know what? Maybe I don't got this. Maybe this is an idol in the middle of my heart. You have to be able to think to yourself, it's okay that there's conviction in my gut that the Holy Spirit is talking to me right now, that the scriptures are talking to me right now, and they're saying, you need to address this idol. You need to address the the elephant in the room or else. It's okay. Feel that. I feel like we as the American church are like, I don't want to feel that. I just want to feel what I want to feel. And if the church doesn't give me what I want to feel, then I'm bouncing from that church. But I'm telling you right now, I believe the scriptures are clear. They're very clear. Jesus is saying, if this is you, I want you to think of the biggest thing trying to fit in the smallest thing. I want you to think of WTC1 trying to fit on your mantle. I want you to think of the Titanic fitting through your front door. If you had this idol in your heart, oh, how impossible it is for you to understand who Jesus is in your life. Crazy. But I also want you to, like like if you felt that, I also want you to hear this. This is what Jesus says at the end. There's nothing impossible with God. Now, it is impossible if you won't admit (laughs) what's going on in your heart. It's totally impossible. But if you will admit what's going on in your heart, nothing is impossible with Jesus. Will you address that today? Will I address that today? I'm not going to lie. When I'm, when I'm writing this sermon, I'm like, oh, shoot, I'm rich. Comparatively, I'm, I'm rich. So I better have a plan for this idol in my heart. I'm not going to lie. Like when, when I get a little bit extra money, all I think about is them Nikes. Huh? All I think about is, oh, Starbucks is going to be flowing free. I'm not going to be worried about it, you know. I'm going to get a sandwich at Starbucks. I don't even care. Like, I'm just going to go extra. Let <laughs> me all know what I'm talking about. Like, and this week I'm thinking, God, you need to address this in my soul. Um, he gives us a way to do that, and this is going to sound crazy, and you might want to fire me after this statement, but Just give me a minute, okay? Here's what Jesus says to do about this. Sell everything and give it to the poor. And then follow Jesus. Sell everything and then follow Jesus. Now, again, I'm not crazy. We have to contextualize this. We don't live in ancient Palestine. And for most of you, Jesus does not want you to sell everything and move to Africa or move to somewhere, okay? We always think of Africa when we think of missions for some reason. They're probably thinking of us too. We need Jesus just as much as everybody else there. Anyways, Jesus probably isn't calling you to that. He might call some of you to that. And that's amazing and it's beautiful. Okay. But for us, we have to contextualize this. I think what he's saying to this man is you need to be able to travel lighter. And you can't. Because you love your things, you love your status, you love your position so much you're white-knuckling those things like you're in a snowstorm. That's what he's saying. You can't travel lightly at all. But he looks at him, he loves him, and he says, until you can travel lightly, until you can get rid of these things, you will always worship these things, and you will never have a framework for God, and therefore you will never know God and you won't spend eternity with God. You see what he's saying? So for us, it's like, can you travel lightly? Like, like, I admire some of y'all. Cause like I'll see you on a Tuesday. You'd be like, you know what? I just want to go to Italy. Saturday, I got a little time off next week. I'm just gonna go from Saturday to Tuesday. I'm going to Italy, and then I'll look at your Instagram, and you're gonna be sipping a little coffee cup this size by the Eiffel Tower. Like, did it? <laughs> you know, that's I admire some, how like mobile some of you are. You just—they call it upwardly mobile. You just travel lightly. It's like I can leave. Now, now that's, that's a metaphor, right? And, and for me, I can't travel lightly at all. My last five trips have been canceled by a small human named Selah Marie Thornton. I'm not even, like, y'all, y'all laugh, because I'm crying inside. Like, we had a cruise planned. I didn't even get my money back. Like, this is my life. We don't travel light. Now, God does not want me to get rid of Selah, okay? Just so you know that this is not the metaphor that we're going for here. The metaphor is that I can't travel lightly. You can. And the reason you can travel lightly is because the things in your life, you don't need to white knuckle so deeply. You can freely let those things go and you can bounce. And what Jesus is saying is, look, if you can't, If there's something in your life that you can't let go of, if there's things, multiple things, a certain lifestyle, a certain apartment, a certain type of car, a certain type of status, a certain type of friendship that you can't let go of, you are not mobile enough. You are downwardly mobile. If you're white-knuckling those things in your life, you, you, you can't follow Jesus. If he says, get up and go, you won't be able to get up and go. And that's a problem. And those things you might need to sell you might need to sell that friendship because that friendship is running you into the ground and Jesus is saying, I want you to come follow me and if you can't because of that friendship, that's a problem. I don't want you to be at that job because that job has you there 90 hours a week and I want you to serve me a little bit more and if you can't let that go, that's a problem, right? Because you're white knuckling that, that thing. The only way to know if this is an idol in your life is to go to the root of your idol. And I wanna do that to end here this morning. Let me give you one more picture. I got this app on my phone, it's called Picture This. Anybody have Picture This on their iPhone? Nice, hey, it's okay, just me and you. Like, we'll take pictures of plants afterward. This is what it is, okay? You take a picture of a plant, and it tells you that's hibiscus meniscus. And you're like, oh, that's impressive, you know? That's plantus mononus, and you're like, yes! I'm officially a botanist, right? This is how you feel about having this app. And one day, my dad was like, I think that's poison ivy on your, on your deck, right? And so we're looking on the deck, and we're like, this is the deck where my kids live, right? They, they're out there all the time looking at the city. They're hanging out. We sometimes lock them out there so we get a little peace and quiet. Don't tell anybody. Don't call CPS on us. But like, th- we need them to be out there from time to time. But th- there is this poison ivy that is there, and I had no clue it was there. So we follow it, And it's all the way down at the base of the building, which means it has been growing here for months. I don't know, maybe even years. But it was below the deck. And all of a sudden, my kids are crying because they see some of the leaves trying to come through the sliding door. They're like, it's coming in, Dad! It's coming in! Like, it's okay, we'll we'll take care of it. For some of you, that's... That's the idol of money. Now, you had no clue that it's there. But let me reveal the bottom of the deck for you. If you have no framework for what even tithing is, if you don't know how to give to Jesus, if, you're, if, if it's not even a thought, and you have this wealth and you're sitting on it and you don't know how to surrender it, there's poison. At some point, it's just going to start coming through the windows. And like this man, you will not be able to leave that wealth. And the only way to go after it is to, like my father did yesterday, quite literally, go to the root of it and saw it off. So we got four weeks of doing this. We don't need to do this all today, okay? I want you to close your eyes with me, and let's see if we can find the root of this. God, I pray that if we love money, if there's a love of money in the room, that you would reveal where that love of money came from. God, we are not afraid of conviction. We are not afraid of the Holy Spirit. We are not afraid of your scriptures cutting through bone and marrow and soul and spirit in this room right now. Would you reveal to us if we have this idol in the middle of our heart? Would you reveal to us what we need to sell, what we need to release, what we need to give up to follow you? And for the next three weeks in missional community, for the next three weeks on Sunday morning, for the next three weeks as we study our scriptures together and apart and alone, I pray that you would speak to us that you would father our heart because just like this, just like you looked at this man and said, I love you. I know you're looking at us right now and you're saying, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. There's nothing impossible with Jesus. There's nothing impossible with Jesus. And you can take this idol out of our heart and smash it in the name of Jesus. And you can help us be generous, loving, free, intimate with you people. Thank you, Jesus. That you tell us the hard things. That you love us enough to speak to us the hard things. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand up with me? Let this worship time be a time of reflection. Uh, If you want to worship out loud, worship out loud. If you want to sit down, sit down. If you want to take communion with us, uh, we have explanation for communion over here. Uh, If you want to give, this is our response station. Respond to Jesus. However God leads you, respond to Jesus. However the Holy Spirit leads you, respond to Jesus. Even if it's sitting down, even if it's running around, I mean, just do it quietly. I don't know, whatever happens, it gets a little charismatic in here, that's fine. But just respond to Jesus how he wants you to respond to him.